There you go. Hey, let's get into God's Word, shall we? We've been in Acts. Uh, this has been a series, an exegetical series, which means we're going into God's Word, and then we're taking truths and we're applying those lives. We're taking those truths right out of God's Word and applying them into our lives. That's what that means. We've been going through the, the book of Acts chapter by chapter, and since there's 28 chapters in Acts, we decide we'll break this up into a couple big groups, so that way we're just not in it for 28 weeks and people get bored, and I don't want you to be bored with the amazing thing that God's Word has to say. So we started a while back with our very first uh, group of that. Uh, we went through the first 10 chapters, and we saw how the kingdom of God, how it, how it comes, right? How the kingdom of God arrives and uh, new kingdom comes. So that was the first 10 chapters. And uh, in that time, our memory verse for that series was Acts 1.8, which is the great commission in the book of Acts that said this, that uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus uh, taught. So we got to see in that particular portion of the new kingdom, how it comes, that the that, uh, we saw the kingdom of God begin and grow from Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria, which is pretty awesome. That's really the kind of the Jewish area, the, the controlled area of the world, of the church as it began. Then in this particular uh, section, section two, which is a little bit shorter, it's really just only five weeks, uh, but we're going into calling the March of the Kingdom, not only because there's five weeks in March and it's all in March, because that's clever, but also because we see how the kingdom of God, it marches on, not just in from the Jewish world, but also it then now goes into the Gentile territory, to the ends of the earth, and it began there. And so today we begin the first, as we finish this series, this, this portion of this series up, uh, we're going to see the very first of the missionary journeys of Paul. And so these two weeks we'll be covering those. Now, God's Word is a history book. It's a, work, it's a book for us today. It's a book of faith. helps us grow in faith and life. And, and uh, this portion of Acts is no different. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked into our culture and become discouraged? Yeah? Have you ever like asked the question, is post-Christian America too far gone? Has that ever crossed your mind? Yeah. I think sometimes we look at this world and we look at the way things are and we see how dark it is out there and we sometimes can become discouraged and wonder, can the church, are we really up for this? And I'll tell you, we're going to get to God's word today and you're going to leave today encouraged. You're going to leave today emboldened and empowered because you will find that there's a truth in there that the church not only can survive in times like this, it was designed to thrive through times like this. That's amazing stuff. So, let's... Let's get to it before we do. However, we always want to make sure that we start with our memory verse. It's not about just getting your mind woken up. It's about saying to God, this is your truth. Impress it upon me. Tattoo it on my life and my soul so I can begin seeing your word come alive in me. And the memory verse that we have for this entire series is a memory verse that every Christian should know. It's our marching orders from Jesus. It is the Great Commission. And it comes to us from Matthew and it's the very end of it. And this is after Jesus raised from the dead. He gets his disciples together. And this is what he says. It says, then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so I know it's long, so we're going to say it a few times together, but we've been doing it every single week. This is the fourth weekend, so hopefully it's getting a little easier. All right, so here we go. Just say it along with me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All right, let's do it again because it's fun. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now we're going to test ourselves, but if you're kind of new to this or you missed a couple weeks, don't worry, there's on your connection card. There's that tear off a Bible memory verse thing. You can use that as a cheat sheet and we won't tell. Okay, here we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Awesome. Now let's see what that looks like to every nation that Jesus is, is here and he has given us authority to go into. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Acts chapter 13. That's going to be on page 768 if you have, we're using one of our Bibles here at the church. If the, you forgot your Bible today or, or don't have one, don't worry about it. We've got lots of them back there by the uh, sound booth. Please use one of those. And if you need a Bible, please keep it. It'll be our gift to you. Now, as you're turning to Acts chapter 13, again, just a little uh, reminder what's, what's happened up to this point, right? We had uh, the, the gospel has now increased. It's now going to the Gentiles. So we had that uh, Paul uh, has... Uh, uh, had uh, had this great conversion experience, and he was this amazing Jew, and God worked in his life in a miraculous way and has transformed him. And now his name was Saul. We know him as Paul, but uh, same guy, and uh, has given him a heart now to go and to share, not just with Jews, but also Gentiles. In the meantime, Peter, the great leader of the church, had been given an amazing vision showing that, uh, that God has now accepted Gentiles as well. In fact, it took three times for him to be like, really trusted. And then he went up and he baptized uh, these, this Gentile army commander and uh, his whole household. His na- name was Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit showed up just like it did at Pentecost showing Peter and the rest of the church that God had ordained this. This was part of his plan from the beginning. And so then Peter accepts this. The church now accepts the fact that Gentiles now can also be saved. And a Gentile is just somebody that's not Jewish. Aren't you happy that the gospel now welcomes everybody, all people, all nations? How cool is that? Well, then we find that there was persecution and, and there was resistance. And we saw last week how the, how the work, the church of God and the gospel continues to persist. It continues to grow and to thrive even amongst resistance. And now that the church is now growing, we have a church that, that, that's as strong in Jerusalem. And then also now there's another church that's very strong up in the city called Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, way far away, mostly Gentile up there. And the church had sent Barnabas, who was a, a great Christian leader of the time, and Paul 
up to that church to teach these Gentiles about who God really is so they could understand what their gospel meant so they can start growing and thriving and that church really does. So you have this amazing church now in Antioch and that's kind of where our story picks up. So since it's a missionary journey, missions actually happens on earth and so there's a map for you, for all of you who love maps. This is where we're going to be traveling. That is the Mediterranean Sea. We're looking up in the area. It's around like Turkey today. It's where it's at and that's where Antioch is, right up there. And... Uh, uh, we see that we have, uh, well, Syria is, is up there too. So we have this, uh, we start there in Antioch, and you have um, the church is growing, it's healthy, and all of this. And pretty much, if you were uh, starting a human endeavor, and you started in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, now you've got branches in Antioch, you'd be a pretty big deal, right? You'd think, hey, we've, we've done all right. But Jesus didn't say, you're going to uh, share my gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way up into Antioch. Now, he said the ends of the earth, and as far as I can look at this map, it doesn't end there. And so you have these Christians in Antioch, though they didn't, have, they didn't see Jesus, they didn't have all of the stuff that the, that the Christians in Jerusalem had, uh, they still had the same passion, the same commission. And so we find them, they start in, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we find the church is actually starts by just praying, saying, God, what do you want from us? And God says, I want you to go on mission. And so we see that the church does. It starts with fasting and prayer. Then, then the Holy Spirit says, I, I choose uh, Paul, I choose Barnabas, and you're going to send them. And so the church does and sends them out. So they st- leave from there, they get to Seleucia, they get on a boat, right? Because that makes sense, because that's where the water is. And then they go to Cyprus. Uh, that's the next thing. That's the island that's there, a fairly good-sized island, which makes sense. This will be their next stop, right? So they go there, and they start in Salamis, which is a, a little, uh, what, a port town that's in this island, and they start proclaiming the gospel, and people start responding, and the churches start being built, and it's a pretty amazing thing. And it says, and then they travel through the whole island, which is a pretty big island. It's about 150 miles long. It's 60 miles wide. It's not a small place. And you think about if you're walking... That's a long walk. They were there for a while, and they were planting the gospel. They're planting the church. Well, uh, whenever the gospel extends, there is an enemy out there. There is darkness, and the enemy starts to fight back. And so Epaphos, uh, when they get to the other end of the island, all the way. So you see from, from Slam to Epaphos, they have them, the gospel has reached the island. When they get to the other end, they find that there is resistance. They meet this guy. He's a, he's a Jewish sorcerer by the name of Bar-Jesus. Right? And then he also in the scripture goes by Elamis, uh, that same guy, and uh, he starts creating trouble. He has a high position of authority with a governor there, Epaphos, and uh, Paul and him uh, have some words, and he loses his sight, and that was a pretty good sign for everyone that, that God is real. And so the gospel has now reached all of Cyprus, and the missionaries, you would think, mission completed, which is what most of us would. But that's still not the ends of the earth. And so, uh, though they were opposed by the devil, though they saw God overcome, they end up, they go north, uh, they get on a boat, and they go up to Perga, which is a great place to get off of a boat because that's where the water runs out. And once they got off the boat, there was a guy named John Mark who was with them, a young man whose family was very, very faithful. He was a cousin to Barnabas. He was the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, so kind of a good dude, right? He was a young man, and he had, for whatever reason, decided he had enough missions, right? And I've been on missions trips with people like this. You get halfway there, and they're like, I don't want to do anymore. And so John Mark goes home. And so that seemed uh, like uh, 
Things didn't go as they had originally planned. Uh, that created a wedge between John Mark and Paul, which uh, a real big rift that we find out later in Scripture God eventually brings back together. And of course, he was at work in this because since John Mark couldn't be with Paul, uh, he ended up hanging out with Peter, which is why we had the Gospel of Mark, which is kind of cool how God even works in our weakness. It's kind of awesome. But that rift eventually led to Barnabas and Paul having a, a, a split later on in uh, their ministry, which just goes to show you, even great Christians don't always get along, right? That's what happens. So they had a hiccup there in Perga, but they were not stopped. They did not give up. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, then eventually they uh, go north to the city in Antioch. They wouldn't have called it city in Antioch at the time. They would have called it just Antioch. But now, can you look at that map and, and maybe call, see a problem with us just calling it Antioch? Yeah, there's more than one. In fact, there was a lot of Antiochs. And so it's important to know that this was just a different city. It's way far away, different people. And so that's why it's there. Now, when they show up to Antioch, they'd had some great times. They, they show up in the city. They go to the synagogue. They uh, were sitting in the synagogue. They listen to the scroll, whatever. And then the elders of the synagogue say, hey, uh, you guys from out of town from Jerusalem, uh, you got a word for us? And they said, well, do we ever? And Paul preaches an amazing sermon, which is recorded for you in this chapter. And if you want to know what the Apostle Paul was preaching when he went from town to town, what was his sermon? Recorded right there for you. What was the message that transformed the early world? It's right here. And I encourage you, this is a powerful message. And he talks about how God had designed this from the very beginning. He set apart the Jewish people for a reason to bring about the Messiah and how Jesus had come as a, as a descendant of King David to keep the promises of God and to save the world of sin. This is an amazing, amazing, amazing sermon. Well, guess what? Uh, the church was like, the, the synagogue was ecstatic. They're like, this is fantastic. When he got done, there were people in the synagogue who were like, uh, we want to keep talking. We want to hear what you have to say about this. So it looked like it started really, really well. It started too well, because the next week when they go back, right, the synagogue is packed. I mean, it is packed, but the problem is it's not just packed by other Jewish people. It's packed by a lot of Gentiles, because it's a Gentile town. And there was a lot of not Jewish people showed up, and they wanted to hear this gospel, what Paul had to say. And what started out is really good, where the Jewish uh, church there, the synagogue there in the community, there was like, yes, this is awesome. Our Messiah has come. All of a sudden, they saw it was different than they originally thought it was going to be, and they got jealous, And God worked in that jealousy, unfortunately, to cause them to reject the great gospel that at first they embraced. And so Paul and and, uh, and uh, Barnabas, they have they they speak to the elders or the, the the synagogue leaders. They were resisting them and doing all kind of stuff. And they said, "Listen, this gospel is more than just for you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. We're going and we're sharing the gospel with all people." And they said, if you don't think yourself worthy of this great news, which I think, I love the sarcasm that uh, Paul had. If you don't think you're good enough for the kingdom, that's fine. We'll invite the Gentiles instead. And so that's what he does. Well, this doesn't fly very good. Uh, with the, so now things get even worse. Uh, the, the Gentile, or the, sorry, the, the synagogue leaders, they've got some political pull with some very wealthy and influential Gentile women who uh, were friendly to the Jews. And so uh, those women use their ability to make life and ministry basically impossible for Paul and his, his guys up there in the city in Antioch. And so they say like, well, we did our work here. We did our best. Didn't turn out. It started out well. Didn't end the way we wanted to, and so they leave the city and they go down to Iconium, which is Iconium, where we're going to pick up the story next week. So that's chapter thirteen. Let's get into it. Maybe dig into it a little deeper and see what we can find. The first thing we're going to talk about, really, as we go into, we're going to see how the kingdom of God goes. 
When the kingdom of God advances, how does it do it? And the first thing that you see in this, in this portion is that the kingdom of God goes as a team. Let's take a look at chapters 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Those are basically, you have your elders of the church, Paul, setting up a church. Right? Here's the, the, the main teachers, the prophets, the, the leaders of the church. And it's, what were they doing? It says, while um, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, right? They were, they were saying, God, what do you want from us as this church? And, and while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now, first thing you recognize is that we always think of Paul's missionary journeys like Paul just went. Paul didn't just went. Paul was sent. There's a big difference. There's oftentimes that we as Christians, we have this, we get a crazy hair in our head that we want to see God's kingdom advance over here in this way. And we don't fast, we don't pray, and we don't go work with the church. We just go off on our own like some crazy wild banshee person just running out into the darkness. You don't come back from that, right? How many Christians have had their faith wrecked because we do this crazy thing? Now, this church, they, they started, there was, a, there was a team that was working. Before Paul and Barnabas ever went, the church was praying. And they were saying, God, what do you want us to do? And God said, well, I want some people to go. He didn't say everybody go. Why? Because the church was still expanding there. The people that were, that were in Antioch were still their evangelists. They were still the missionaries in, in Antioch. But some of them needed to go. And so the church worked as a team. The church was completely together in this. They were praying together. They received this word together. They said, this is the right thing. The leadership of the church, the people of the church, they had fasted, they had prayed. They knew God was at work. And so they said, yeah, this is a work of God. We're going to do this. And God made it very clear somehow to them through the Holy Spirit, it is Paul and it is Barnabas that are going to be sent. And so the church listens to that. Now, this is great because what we didn't have is Paul and Barnabas coming to the church and say, we want to go on a missions trip. Please pray about that for us and then tell us if it's time to go. Right? Or we're going to just do it ourselves. They didn't any of that. They start with God. They start with the church. Church says somebody needs to go. God says it's you. And so there wasn't any of this jealousy. Like some people say, well, I want to go on a missions trip. Why is it not me? No, the rest of the church, you're supposed to pray and support them. That's your part. Right? And Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, they weren't there like, well, I don't want to go. Why do I have to go? I'm comfortable here. No, God said go. Right? There are, in the church, there are times that we have different roles to play. And the church came together, all together, and the church in Antioch sent a mission to the world through the authority of the Holy Spirit. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, this, this does for us, is it, I think it empowers us. We look at this, and the church always goes as a team. We cannot do missions on our own, right? Called us to respond, we respond, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he sends us. All right, the second thing we find out is that the kingdom goes as it goes into the darkness. We get that from the next thing. When he's in, in Cyprus, Epaphos, when he goes to the island, we see that the kingdom of God doesn't go to Disneyland, okay? We're not going to, you know, to Paris, the city of lights, right? We're going into the darkness. There's a reason for that, right? The kingdom of God was designed to overcome the brokenness. This world's a broken place. The missions is not a vacation. It's not something that we just do because the kingdom of God doesn't just advance in this world in the places that it's comfortable and it's easy. It's designed and it's supposed to go to the places that are difficult, that are hard. That's the whole point. That's why it's a mission, right? So we find the kingdom of God does go into the darkness. They go to this island that the, the people didn't know. 
who the Messiah was. They start spreading the gospel and all this, and guess what? The devil is there. And he's real. Right? In, in, in uh, was it, uh, John 12 or something, that, that uh, the devil is called the, the, uh, the prince of this world? And, and again, uh, 2 Corinthians, he's called the god of this age? The, the devil's real, and he's got power. Now, he doesn't have less power than God, but he's got power. The darkness exists. And when the kingdom of God started advancing in an unpredicted, unexpected way, the, you know, the first, it uh, took the devil, I think, uh, on surprise, right? He didn't expect that island to be under assault all of a sudden, right? So the, the missionaries show up, there's, the gospel starts to grow, and the churches start to grow, but by the time those, those apostles, missionaries, get to the other end of the island, the devil is ready. He's got Bar-Jesus there, a guy who's got a lot of authority, a lot of power, Right? A lot of influence. And he's ready to, to face off against God's kingdom. And I love how the showdown uh, it worked out because uh, it reminds us that the, our God is um, he's not weak and he's not to be trifled with. Um, let's see here. When it talks about bar Jesus, I think it's uh, down here. Paul uh, speaks to him and he says... Uh, Verse 10, right? Is there somewhere in there? There we are. Here it is. Ah, yeah. This is so great. You read how Paul, like, Paul addresses this guy. Now, this is not a PC answer. This is just a truth answer. It says, uh, it says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Ouch. I mean, he just calls it as it is. He says, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you are going to be blind for a time, not able to see the light of the sun. And immediately a mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed and was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. I'll tell you, this is not unexpected. When the enemy comes against us, he does stuff that makes us uh, nervous, right? You have this guy's all this kind of power. And imagine Paul was like, how am I going to convince this community that God is real, when you have this Jewish sorcerer like standing there contradicting everything I have to say. He's just saying lies and doing all these kinds of stuff. And instead of playing the diplomatic route, Paul took, played the truth card. Right? He's like, all right, you're standing not against me, you're standing against God. And if you want to be so spiritually blind, you're choosing blindness, spiritual blindness over your own Messiah, then you can have physical blindness too. How about that? And he does. And this was a great sign for, the, obviously, the people of the time. There was a reason for this miracle. Is that blindness allowed that portion of the nation to have their spiritual eyes open, that they could see the truth for what it was. That is amazing. And see, the kingdom of God will, all, will always come up against the enemy. And he will come in and he will seem so powerful and so strong and all these kinds of things. But we're not afraid. Right? The darkness is there, but the light will always overcome it. We just have to persist. Oftentimes with a very, very uh, wonderful tool called truth. Now, the kingdom of God then, it leads from that wonderful victory as it had that, that facing off against the devil in this time where you would think like the, the, the apostles, the, the missions team would be like, we just saw God totally show up, right? That was amazing. And they get off the boat and John Mark's like, let me pop your balloon. I'm going to deflate you right now. I'm going home. So the kingdom of God, when it goes, it always goes imperfectly. Always. Because the kingdom of God, us, we're not perfect. And guess what? That doesn't surprise God. He is well aware of your imperfections. 
We're, we're not perfect. In fact, every single Sunday, when I take communion, there's when I prepare my heart, there is a list of things that I go through again as I reveal my heart. It's like, again, Lord, I did this. And this, and this is a new one, right? I don't even know how I came up with that idea, but that was bad. And I messed up here. And there's a whole bunch of others that I'm sure I didn't even get that are boneheadedly, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's why there's grace. God didn't say, you will receive perfection when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my... No. So you can see power. 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 That's what he gave us. Not perfection. He's perfecting us. He's transforming me from the inside out through faithfulness. But it's not my perfection that gives me the voice. That's not what gives me my authority to preach. How many Christians have us have had the enemy tell us, you can't do anything for God because you're such a mess up. That's the point. Right? God takes broken vessels like me, like us, and he transforms us into a powerful body that is unstoppable in this world. You know, when I go and I, and I think about the missions that we do as a church, every single time we go through it and there's things that go wrong, and sometimes it's because we went wrong. That doesn't disqualify us for missions, ever. It, what it does is it qualifies us for grace, which is what we need. So the question for the Christian, the question for the church as it goes, is not are you perfect? The question is are you faithful? That's what we need to do. We need to focus on faithfulness. See, when I mess up and I'm faithful to God, what the first thing I do is I recognize that I messed up and I need His grace. But I, He's not going to abandon me and I'm sure as heck I'm not going to abandon Him. And so I get back up and I say, okay, God, it's your way. You know, some of us go into the mission field and we go to foreign countries but every one of us is on the mission field. We have people in our own lives, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, people that are in our sphere of influence that don't know Christ. We go into that darkness and you're going to go in there boldly and sometimes you're going to just put your foot in your mouth. It's going to happen. That doesn't disqualify you and it doesn't stop the mission. We shouldn't be surprised that imperfect people in an imperfect church doesn't always act perfectly. The question is, in the midst of that, are you going to act faithfully? Despite the fact that you know that you're weak, that you're not perfect, and all those things, are you going to trust that God is in you and with you and is going to do something even through that? I've been praying for my family, and there's some friends that I have that I've been praying for years, right? Years praying for God to open opportunities for the gospel and for me to share God's love with them and all that kind of stuff. And there's been a couple of times, a handful, where the opportunity is there. Like, it's just like God finally is just like, here it is like a gift. It opens up. And then a handful of times I'll get that and I'll just mess it up. I mean, I would just, I would drop that ball, right? It's the touchdown pass at the Super Bowl. I've got it in my hands. It's perfect. And I'm like, what? And God's not up there in heaven saying, Aaron, I didn't see that coming. He's not, well, you, I can't trust you. You go sit on the bench, Aaron. I'm going to get a real Christian to come in here. Nah. He's like, you better learn from that, doofus, right? But he's going to dust me off. You learn from that? Okay. If God brought me the first opportunity, he can bring a next one. My God is sovereign, and he is good, and he is powerful, and he is graceful, right? And he has chose that grace to me. And sometimes we mess up, and we, we get cold feet, and we leave the, one of the greatest missionary expeditions in the history of the world, and God will then use us later to write one of the Gospels. Do not... Allow the enemy to stop you because you're not perfect. You march because you're not perfect, but our God is. 
It's when the kingdom of God goes and people say, well, the kingdom of God, was as the church has grown, church history has problems in it. The church hasn't always been perfect. Yeah, I know. That's kind of the point. It's amazing what God does through imperfect, sinful people like us, but he always brings us back on track. We need to look in our own lives and stop asking, am I perfect? Say, I recognize that I'm not, but God is. My question is, I'm being faithful to him. And if God calls you to go, will you go? If he calls you to love somebody, will you love them? If he calls you to forgive somebody, can you forgive them? Faithfulness. When he shows you some area in your life that you need to add that you haven't been doing before because you need to, to bring this truth of God into your life, you're willing to add it. Or if God shows you some area of your life that is out of whack with his kingdom, it's, it's not in accordance with what's it called. Are you willing to leave that behind? Faithfulness. That's what the call is. The kingdom of God goes imperfectly. goes faithfully. Next thing we find in here, the last one we had, the kingdom of God goes with authority, though. Even though we're not perfect, where does that authority come from? Not us. I mean, why should anybody in the world ever listen to Aaron Dorman? That would be ridiculous. People should listen to the, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's given me authority to present his message, his truth. That's where I go. I'm, I go because God sent me. All authority said in heaven and on earth. There's no angel, no demon. There's no human alive. It has the authority to tell me that I can't go and make disciples because God himself said, you go. And where did he tell me to go? Anywhere and everywhere. And in fact, there's a threefold authority that he gives us. The first one is he gives us divine authority, God himself, who really, if you have an organizational chart, would be the top. Right? He made it all. And nobody's going to say, you know, like, if you ask up the chain of command enough, God has said, yeah, you have the authority to go here. That's the first one. God has divine authority. God has told you, you can do this. One of my very favorite movies, Blues Brothers, because it's a great movie, right? In there, nothing could stop those two guys. Why? Because they were on a mission from God, right? I love that. And then they had crazy bad stuff happened to them, but they were never deterred. Why? They were on a mission from God. You are actually on a mission from God. You. That is so cool. So we have this, that that we can march into this world with divine authority, but that's not the only authority we have. We also have scriptural authority. It's not my message. I'm not telling you to become a disciple of me. You wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. The world doesn't need any more than me. That's why God only made one of me. Right? It's all the world can handle. What we do need is we need more Christ. Right? It is his message. It is his gospel. The gospel, it is about Jesus, not us. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we follow him, he transforms us from the inside out. So become a blessing to this world. That's good news. That's great news. So we have to recognize that the authority to preach, the authority, of, it comes from God. It's scriptural authority. There is something about truth in this that transcends anything that I could ever tell you. And that's why I go. I don't bring my message. I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I say, there is a God and he is real. Do I understand him perfectly? No way. Because if I could fit God into my brain, I invented him. But God somehow fits me into him. Right? He fits me into his ideas. He has a place for me. And he's revealed enough and he says, this is who I am. Follow me and you can be saved. That's pretty amazing. Third authority, the third uh, uh, point of authority we have is also the church. God has authorized the church, his divine agent in this world. You are part of the body of Christ. There's some bad doctrine out there sometimes that says that that uh, you are the church, like you individually. That's not what Scripture says. It says you, plural, are the body of Christ. Where it says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are. You have the Holy Spirit in you. In Scripture, contextually, that's not talking about you as an individual. It's talking about us, the church. We 
are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yes, as part of that, the Holy Spirit does indwell you. I think that's pretty amazing. But we are in this together. The Word of God is, is, is in us and with us, which means that we have great authority, right? I mean, incredible authority as God's agent. We are His bride. We are His body. We get the opportunity to represent Him together in this world. There's something amazing as being part of the church. So when the church goes, the church sends. There is like God is at work here. And so we're not afraid. We have divine authority, scriptural authority. We have authority through the church, which means that we can go to anybody, right? God has said, go to all people. That's what it said, all. Which means that there are going to be people in this world that we as humans would think are off limits. God says, you don't have the right to withhold the gospel from them. There may be somebody you know, and you know that you know them, that you'd be just as happy to not spend eternity with them, right? You have that person in your life? Guess what? All authority in heaven and earth said to go to them. Go to them too. Everybody. There's nobody so broken, nobody so arrogant, nobody so distant from God, nobody so blind that the gospel is prohibited to go to. It's not like you're going to share the gospel with someone and Jesus is up there saying, I didn't want you to share it with them. No, every person, authority, you have the right to speak to. That also means no space in this world is off limits. Isn't that what it means? Now, when I say all authority, go to all nations, all places, all times, I mean, there is not one square inch in this earth, in this entire creation, that the gospel is off limits. The world will tell you, the enemy will tell you, this is... You can't share your faith here. You can't be a Christian here. Baloney. You can make laws against being Christian, but you can't stop the church. There is no safe space in this world for darkness. We have been authorized to invade it with a mighty and incredible light and a boldness that is empowered by a deep and unquenchable love of God for broken people. He says, they're in that darkness. You go. You go. Do not let culture or any human or any law tell you you cannot be a believer. That you have to somehow put your light under a bushel. That you have to to make excuses for God or separate yourself from the Lord. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. That's from a lower authority. No, you've been called by God. You can witness anywhere to anyone at any time. Now, in that, realize that our authority is this, to go and share. To go and share. Not to force and convince. The the Spanish Inquisition, but you didn't expect me to talk about that. No one does. The the Spanish Inquisition, they got that wrong. They were like, the gospel says, go and make disciples. And they're like, okay, we'll make disciples. Right? By force and coercion, if necessary. That's not what it says. Our job as Christians is not to go and to force people into the kingdom. We're not supposed to go and even convince them. This is not a product sales. This is not Amway. We're talking about eternal life and the eternal God who offers it. Right? Which means that he's using broken people to go and he just says, just witness, just talk about, you know I am, what the scripture says I am, and what I've done for you. That's all you have to do to go and share. Some people will receive it and we celebrate that. Some people will reject it. And that's sad, but we respect that. Some people will at first receive it, like that church, uh, the, the first synagogue, and then later will reject it, which is a real bummer. And some people will at first, they'll reject it, but eventually receive it. I don't know what camp everybody's in. 
It's not my job to make sure that people are in the right. I just have the obligation, the responsibility for God to just go and share. My God is real. And He has saved me from my sins and He continually saves me from my sins. His gospel is not some strange message and the evidence of it is my life. I have not only received grace for my soul, but in my very living. I've seen God change me from a person that was filled with rage and hatred to somebody that genuinely loves people. I don't get that. I used to have the worst temper. I would lose my temper and I couldn't change that. I've seen God transform me. I, I have a very, very long fuse. Perfect? No, but man, I've seen God transform me. You know, our God is a God who transforms people. I've seen his truth of his kingdom in, in my family that even though that I was from a broken home and I've got great parents, but I didn't have a very good expl- like, example of what it was supposed to look like, I started applying God's family, how he designed it for my family. How I was supposed to love my wife and lay down my life for her, which is not natural for me. And she learned how to, to, to pray for me and, and, and honor me and, and support. I have an amazing family. That's evidence of God's work in my life, isn't it? I think we have testimony that God is not fake. This is not just some ancient book of philosophy. He is real. I don't have to convince you of that. I can just share it with you. And if you want some of that, I would be happy to share because it is, it is for you. That's what we have the authority to do. So how do we apply this in our life? This amazing thing, the kingdom of God, how it, how it works. So the first thing we recognize, we have to start this. We have to team up. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Lone Ranger Christians are easy to take out. Okay, It's not as though God's going to speak to you apart from the body and tell you to do something. Paul didn't go, or God didn't go to Paul and Barnabas and say, I have a mission for you. The church came together, the church prayed, and God brought a work through the church. Some of the church supported, some of the church prayed for them, some of the church brought financial help so they could buy their boat tickets, right? The church was in it, but some of them went. Paul and Barnabas and Mark, they went. I understand that you are part of a team. Scripture says that you are part of the body of Christ. We can't have a brain over here and a foot over there and all, we look like we're blown all apart. That's not helpful. We've got to be together. That's how the body works. You have to be part of a church family. Now, uh, we also have to recognize we have to be teamed up with God. Have you ever seen a perfectly put together body that doesn't have a soul in it? No spirit? It's called a cadaver, right? It's gross. <laughs> It's weird. They're all stiff and unmoving and don't do much other than just sit there and stink. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of religions out there, a lot of churches even, that have denied God. They don't bring them in. They think we're going to do this on our own. We're going to follow rules. We're going to do things all of this way. We're going to come together in this. But they don't have any life. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no God. They haven't received God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those churches those seem stiff and unmovable and they just sit there and stink. And they're freaky and weird. It's not how we're supposed to be. To be a living church, it's a church that we first come and we unite with God. We're on His team. We don't say, God, uh, bless what we're doing. We say, God, how do we bless what you're doing? We want to have you fill us. We want to have you direct us. We come together in that and let God and His Holy Spirit fill us so that we can be active and, and purposeful in this world. That's where the power comes from. Both are necessary. We need God's Spirit first. That's where it starts. Then we be united. 
And in that, Jesus said that the world will truly know we're his disciples for our love, how we work together, our love for one another. It says in the Word that when the whole body works together, in Philippians, that when we're all doing our own special part, God's in the midst of it, the body is filled with, with, the, with the love, right? And it grows, and it becomes really healthy. This is what we're supposed to do. So we have to begin by teaming up. How do you do that? Well, one of the easiest ways, I think, is join the church. You haven't already been coming and all this. Uh, some people say, well, church membership's not in, in the Bible. That's baloney. Church membership is just expected in Scripture. If you are a believer, you're expected to be part of your local church. You're supposed to have elders and, and deacons and teachers and, and those that will shepherd you. That's expected. There's a place to go. In fact, there's like 34 commands in the New Testament you can't even begin to fulfill if you don't, are not part of a church. It's important, right? And how are we supposed to obey Jesus in all things if we deny that? You are important. God brought you here. So, First thing you do is join a church. Or maybe it's part of the church, say, I'm going to connect. I'm going to, maybe I'm here. How do I not just sit here? How do I begin to serve and fulfill my special part in that? All right, the next thing we want to do is we need to not just team up. We team up for a reason. We team up with God and with each other to what? Invade the darkness. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. He never tells us to go. That's what he says. We invade the darkness relentlessly, nonstop. We're not going to be dissuaded. We're not going to be discouraged. We're going to invade darkness. That's what we're supposed to do. We do not run from culture. We run right into the heart of the brokenness because the gospel will always overcome brokenness. That's what it does. There is no such thing in the world as a secular sacred divide. Right? The enemy tries to teach us that. Like you keep church on Sunday and then you have this secular life outside. That's baloney. I am a Christian. You are believers. We are the body of Christ in this world. This world is amazing. It's sacred. It was built by God for his glory. And he says, go and take it back. So go. I say this too. We don't cede ground to the enemy. As a church, uh, there's a big move right now because culture has gone. We're post-Christian and there's a big move that, that a lot of churches say, well, they feel this, this tension that they see darkness encroaching and they're like, well, we want to be relevant to that darkness, so let's change God's ways. Let's, let's, let's just kind of play wishy-washy with, with some things so that way we can make the darkness more comfortable. We're not supposed to make the darkness comfortable. We're supposed to bathe this world in light. So don't be afraid. Paul, the apostles, the Barnabas, all that. Read about how they, re- they responded to people when they said, uh, do things uh, a human way, not God's way. They were like, mm-mm. We stick with God's word. We have that authority. We stick with the Holy Spirit, right? We have that authority, right? We stick with the mission. We have that authority. We will stay faithful. And we present truth in love to this world. But we do not seed ground. We do things different. Because the world's broken. Don't you want something different? How about wholeness? How about love? How about grace? How about mercy? How about purpose? That's what you find in the light. Next thing we find is this, is that we focus on faithfulness, not perfection. We are not a legalistic church. That's, you cannot be that way. If I had a bunch of rules for a list to say, you have to do all these things to be a perfect Christian, right? then that's dangerous because you're not going to be a perfect Christian. That's a given. The, po- the point is here, are you growing in faithfulness? Is the church helping you grow in faithfulness? Are you growing in faithfulness? You're going to mess up. There's grace for you here for that. But we're not going to let you sit there and, and rot in your, in your mess-ups, right? We're going to help clean you up. We're going to encourage you to help you grow. That's what we do. Right? But we have to have this. We have to say, on us, in our church, are we focusing on what is faithful? Are we like the church from Antioch that's sitting and praying and saying, God, what do you want from us? And when he tells us, we have the courage to actually do it. Because think about that church. They have two really awesome headliners. They have Paul, the great apostle Paul, and they have Barnabas. That's great for church growth. 
I mean, that's like you go to a celebrity pastor's church, right? Can you imagine if that church got together and like, well, we want to send that celebrity pastor somewhere else. I'll tell you this, that God's bigger than that. We say this, we, we focus on faithfulness. If God tells us to do something as a church, do we have the courage to do it? Yeah, focus on faithfulness. How about in your own life? God's telling you to do something. Focus on the faithfulness. And when you find that imperfection, that's where we find grace. Go to him. He forgives you. Now, the next thing we will do is that we go with authority, with God's authority, not our own. If you go out in this world and you start charging the enemy lines on your own authority, you're going to get squashed, man. You're going to get beat up. That's why we need to pray and do this thing together. We need to say, God, what do you have, want us to do, right? But when we go, recognize that there are people in your life that right now seem like they're a thousand miles away from God. And when he says go, we, it's ready for us to go to them, right? When he says to care for people, we need to be ready to care for them. We need to go, not with our own authority, but say, we're going to go because there's gospel. There is grace for them. There is love for them. There is forgiveness for them. There's a place for them to go with authority. So we follow God's leading. We start that. We have to fast and pray, don't we? As a church, we have to actually pray, ask God what he wants so he could tell us. We have to stick with God's word. We have to stand firmly upon what he's told us, right? And then we work with the church. We work together to fulfill God's purposes, what he's doing in this community. All of those come together. So let's Let's do that. Go with authority. You know, we took up this application. We say the kingdom of God, it does. It's advancing in this world. It was designed to advance even in dark times, just like these, and not to be afraid. But how we go matters. We need to go as a team, right? We need to go into the darkness, not just stay huddled where it's nice and easy, but go to the places that are broken. We need to go imperfectly, yet faithfully, right? To realize that we just need to just get out there. We need to go with God's authority. Doing that, the church of God is going to do some amazing things. Now, as I bring this uh, portion of the message to the close, the question is how do you apply that? How do you go? How are you going to go with us? If you have your connection card, eh, I'll drop all my stuff. Second message, second service, so we're good. Take this out. I got some next steps, right? How do we follow God in this? How are you going to go? On the back, it says, this week I commit to, those are some next steps I've thought up of, I prayed up of, and, and, and when I was uh, developing these, saying, God, how would we apply this? What would you have for us? Maybe there's something on here for you. The first one is this. Maybe you're going to take the, uh, memorize the Great Commission. Right? Maybe that's what you're going to do this week. You're going to take it, and uh, you're going to memorize what God told us to do. Set it to your heart. Ask Him to reveal to you what does that look like in your life today. Maybe you pray for us as a church. How are we applying that? What do we, well, God, what do you have for us? Or how about this? Maybe you read Acts 13. I covered Acts 13, but kind of like a, a rock skimming across the water when it skipped, right? Didn't get real deep into each of those places because it's a big chapter. Take some time and go deep with God's word. See what it has to say. When the kingdom of God goes, when the first mission begins, how did God work in that? Read it. How about this? Maybe you want to go to the membership class. Say, so you know what? It is time to connect. Time to, to be part of this. And I would invite you to join me. Or maybe there's something else the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. Well, here's a suggestion. Do that, but let me know because I want to support you in it. So you can write that down in there. If you have a prayer request, it's the opportunity to write that down as well. Or if there's another commitment you have to make, please let me know that as well as how to contact you. What we're going to do now is I want to take our, our offerings and, and we take our offerings. What I would like you to do is take this connection card. You can take this the memory verse card home with you. But this connection card, if you would drop that in the basket as it's passed along with your tithes and your offerings and uh, make those next steps. Let the kingdom of God grow in you. Let's pray uh, for our offerings, our commitments, and we'll have the worship band close us out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good, you're powerful, you're loving, and uh, Lord, you've given us a great mission. So help us to fulfill it. We've made some commitments today, Lord. We want to go as a team. Father, we do. 
Uh, help us to join together as a church that we are uh, united in this. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, as we go, that you're calling us in the darkness. So give us boldness to do that. Show us where it is as a church and as individuals that you've called us to invade the darkness in this world. Give us the courage and also the work through your Holy Spirit to burn the gospel bright in those areas, that you will take ground from the enemy. Uh, Father, that you would allow people who live in darkness to see not only see a great light, but to live in the light of Christ's love. Father, I pray too that as we go, well, we pray for your grace and your mercy that, uh, Lord, we, we do go imperfectly, so help us to go faithfully. Lord, if there's areas in our life that we're not faithful, then Lord, help us to bring those into conformity with your will. But Father, thank you for the grace in the meantime. Father, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would empower us, even in the midst of our imperfection, to be effective witnesses of yours in this community. Uh, Father, we pray too that uh, in all of this, as if we go and, and all of that we've, we've seen, God, that we, your authority is what we would stand upon. Not our own, not our own ideas, not our own skills, but upon who you are and what you've done. Father, may your gospel set people free. Lord, uh, we've made commitments today. Help us keep those in a way that honor you. Pray for our tithes and our gifts. Lord, use them. Build your kingdom. Do great things because you are worthy. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.